the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Many happy returns to you all. Today the Church celebrates the glorious feast of uh, the Transfiguration of our Lord. Uh, and as you read, uh, as we read in the Synexarium, this is one of the minor feasts of the Lord. Uh, and it is, uh, uh, it is significant. All the feasts of the Lord, you'll find, have something to do with our salvation and the plan of our salvation uh, in each one of the feasts. Not only because it's an event in Christ's life, but because it has to do with you and I's uh, salvation. Um, in this glorious feast, we see a couple of things. The first thing we see, that the Lord Christ was revealing His glory and His divinity to His disciples. Uh, and St. Mark explains to, uh, to us why this was significant. It was because the timing. This was going to be right before He is going to uh, the Passion. So as if he wants to strengthen the faith of the disciples and apostles, so when they see him, you know, uh, at the time of his passion, they're not troubled. They remember this, uh, this event. So how did he reveal to them his glory and his divinity? Number one, he revealed to him his glory. As we saw here, he became illuminated and radiant. And it says here in the Mark's Gospel that, uh, and he's the Gospel of details. You always find a lot of details in Mark's Gospel. Um, uh, you find that he mentions that their clothes became whiter than any launder on earth can make them. So this is something not here of this world, but something you know from heaven. So he revealed to them his glory by his how he looked. He also revealed to them his divinity. How did he do this? <clears throat> the two that were with him were whom? Elijah and Moses. If you notice, these two individuals in particular in the Old Testament, we don't know where they were, right? Elijah was taken in a chariot of fire and went to heaven. But heaven wasn't open yet, right? So we don't know where he went, exactly. And then Moses, what happened with Moses? He died and we don't know where his body is, right? He died and God hid the body of Moses on purpose so the people don't worship Moses. So now when the disciples see Elijah and Moses, the two people in the Old Testament whom they don't know where they are, and he brought them back and they're talking with them, then he is God of the living and of the dead. He can raise people up uh, even from places that are unknown. Um, and uh, the Bible, St. Paul refers to this when he speaks about Moses. Uh, he says, that um, he was waiting, he was the one in the lower parts of the earth. So he just says the lower parts of the earth with no specificity, doesn't know uh, exactly where they went. He also wanted to show uh, his disciples that he put on humanity in humility. He put on humanity in humility or out of his humility. And again, like I said, this was to maintain the equilibrium of uh, their moral condition to prepare them for the passion. So when they see him being uh, you know, spat upon and judged and putting the crown of thorns and being crucified, they put this in balance of what they saw on the Transfiguration Feast. So all of this that's happening to our Savior is not by the will of the people, but His own will, right? Um, and they keep that in mind, that no, he was glorified as he was humbled as well, or he allowed himself to be humbled as well. And we also see his divinity 
very clearly in the testimony of the father, where the father says, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is one of the epiphanies that we have, or the theophanies, where the, the Trinity is revealed to us in Scripture, similar to the time of his uh, baptism. Also, uh, this feast is also significant in you and I's life. How so? Um, because of the gradual revelation that God give, gave to us about himself and about us. What do I mean? If we look at the transfiguration, this was maybe the simplest form of God revealing his glory to us. He revealed it to the three apostles in this glorious image of a person who's radiant and light. This is the first step. Then the next step in his life, he revealed to them his glory and his resurrection, where the body that he took from the Saint Mary is now risen from the dead with the marks of the suffering in his hands and in his feet, and he rose and he showed himself to, uh, to them. He was also the one with this resurrected body. He came out of the tomb that was sealed. And also with the same glorified body, he entered into their midst uh, after the resurrection while the doors were thoroughly shut. So he showed them the glory of the body that they also shared with him in. Again, this is significant. In the transfiguration, he just gave them a glimpse of this. In the resurrection, he added to this. Also in the ascension, he rose, uh, his body rose despite all of the natural laws of gravity and so on. And he rose uh, and is described as he rose into the clouds and uh, before their eyes. And again, to show them that this body that was eating and drinking with them is the body who not only rose from the dead, but also will ascend to heaven and will sit at the right hand of the Father. And then another uh, revelation of, uh, uh, of this gradual revelation is his picture in heaven. And this was revealed to St. John the Beloved in the book of Revelation. How do we see? I'll read a couple of verses in chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 1. I'll read 14 and 16 and then 17. So in uh, Revelation four, uh, 1.14 he says, His eyes were like a flame of fire. So St. John is describing the Lord. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So again, St. John describes to us the magnificence of uh, the Lord. And then he says in 17, And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. And he laid his, hand, his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. So we see here that St. John saw the glory and the magnificence of the, uh, of the Lord in heaven, and he, fell, and he fell down as though he was what? As though he was dead, right? Because of the glory. So again, when we have this image of the glorious God who did this with the body that we shared with him, the physical body. And then the completion of the revelation will happen in the second coming. And the second coming. St. Jude describes it in Jude 14. He describes and says, The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So he's going to come again in his second coming in a much more glorious form than what was revealed previously. Now with the accompaniments and the procession of all the saints and the hosts of angels, 
in a way that is filled with awe and fear at the same time. And then uh, the Lord describes also this coming in Matthew 16. He says, uh, He will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and He will reward each one according to His works. As if the Lord again is telling the disciples, Although I came in a humble manner, and was incarnate in a man, and came, became man, and was born in a manger, and dwelt a simple life as a wanderer, have nowhere to lay my head, but yet He still tells them, don't doubt my divinity. When you see me crucified on the cross, don't doubt the, the, uh, my divinity and that I do this by my own will. This is why St. Paul tells us in Philippians 2.7, he says, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He says he's coming in the likeness of man because he resembled us in everything except for what? Sin alone, as we say in the liturgy and being found uh, in appearance as a man. So he looked like a man and he took our physical flesh, but he was without sin. He was the nature that God intended to create in humanity before Adam you know, uh, and sin entered into the world. So now in this transfiguration feast is the beginning of the revelation of not only his glory, but also in what he would like to prepare for you and I. Um, also we learn uh, from this feast and we can look at the person of Moses and Elijah these two individuals and we mentioned a couple of these points in the Synexarium he brought Moses and Elijah why? so that they understand that his glory is not only for him but for those who follow in his commands you and I, the glory that we saw him today in the transfiguration is the glory that he wants to share with you and I. In Romans 8, uh, St. Paul says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. These he also glorified. So he wants to transform us into the what? Into the glorious image of his Son. What a beautiful thing for us to meditate on that God the Father wants us to be glorified and radiant and illuminated just as His Son was. He doesn't just want to reward us by gifts and possessions, but He wants to give us the glory of His Son. Anybody who wants to compensate somebody for a job well done, do they give him or her something equal to what his own possession is? So if I was going, you know, this is mentioned quite often in the, in the Bible. Uh, for example, uh, when Esther wanted came up to King Artaxerxes and wanted to make a request, he said to her, make a request up to half of the kingdom. And same thing, you know, Saint John, or, uh, Herod said the same thing to Herodias. Make a request up to half of the kingdom. Why would they say half of the kingdom? Because they're not going to give her, him or her the full kingdom. right? So anybody wanting to reward somebody will not give him all of their own glory. But this is what God wants to give us. Wants to give us to be like in the image of His Son. The glory that His Son uh, receives, He wants to give to us. And we see the Lord Christ Himself say this in John 17. And this is the passage, the beautiful prayer that He prays uh, in Gethsemane before His uh, Passion. He says to the Father, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, 
that they may be one just as we are one. So the glory that the Father gave to the Son is the same glory that the Son wants to give to you and I. This is very humbling when we think and sit and think about this, that the glory that he wants to give us is his own glory. Also we find that Moses and Elijah um, are those who appeared, are those who um, fasted just as Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And perhaps this is significant and points to that those who will enjoy the glory of the Son also have to participate in the fasting aspect, in the discipline of the body. And this is why fasting, especially in the Orthodox Church, is so important. It teaches us to discipline our body and bring it under subjection. The things that I will to do, I will not do when I fast. But the things that... Um, uh, uh, this includes not only the food, but it should also include the temptations and the sins that uh, we commit and fall in. Also, we see that both of uh, these individuals, they kind of represent the two spectrums of life. Those who are married and those who are celibate. Lest somebody think that only the monks in the monasteries are going to go to heaven. Lest someone think that getting married is a defilement. No, by all means, God instituted marriage and he joined the two together that they can populate the world uh, and multiply it so he can have more children in his kingdom. So he brought for us both a married man and Moses and also a celibate in Elijah. Moses married Zipporah, who was the daughter of a Midianite, a non-believer, and he also married an Ethiopian woman. So he's representing here that Christ came not only for the believers or the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, uniting the whole world in himself. Of course, in the New Testament, it's those who believe in him. We can't say that the non-believers, those who don't believe in Christ, will share in this glory. This is the foundation, the very beginning. We have to have faith in him to share in his glory um, and in his work. So God is sending us Elijah and Moses to tell us that he is the Lord and Savior of all of the world to those who confess him and abide by his commandments. So this is the transfiguration. Our, uh, this transfiguration is also for our transformation. How can we be transformed from this glorious feast? Three quick points. Number one is ascent and withdrawal. We saw the Lord here went to a private place with only three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, and this wasn't a time for Christ to display his public glory. This would come uh, later. But it was a time for him to show his glory to his apostles to strengthen them. And in this secluded place is often the place where the Lord prayed as we hear, he went off into a deserted place by himself to meet with his disciples, and he went off to a deserted place by himself to pray. So this seclusion place is the place of ascent and withdrawal. All of us, with all the busyness in the world and all of our uh, uh, busy lives, there needs to be time that we devote to be alone with God. There has to be. We can't allow ourselves to be if we're not occupied with people, we're occupied with our devices or with, you know, our games or whatever. There's got to be this time where we sit by ourselves. And 
this is something we have to be uh, trained in. It doesn't come easily, but we have to be trained in. So start slow and start by like just giving yourself five minutes. Besides your time of prayer, give yourself five minutes. Don't look at the phone. Don't talk to anyone. Sit by yourself and think about your life, where you're going. Where, where are you in the realm of God's plan? What does God want from you in your life? Just take these five minutes and meditate on a few of these things. Also, this is something that St. Peter learned when he took him on the Mount Tabor. He learned that fellowship with Christ is achieved in this prayerful seclusion, time of seclusion. We read in the book of Acts chapter 10 and verse 9 that at noon time, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He went to a roof to pray by himself. And he didn't go to the temple. He didn't go anywhere. He went on the roof. So this place, this time of seclusion can be anywhere. Just be by yourself. If you have a lunch break at work, that's for half an hour, eat in 15 minutes and have some time by yourself with God for 15 minutes. If you're in the car, and we have a lot of time in the car here in Houston, right? Especially with 290 the, the way it is. You have a lot of time. Turn the music off, turn the phone off, and sit and use this time as a time to meditate. Rather than be angry at the people who are cutting you off and the slowness of the traffic, just take the time and say, Lord, you provided me with this time in traffic to maybe think about you. So I will do that. The second thing besides withdrawal and ascent is the godly living. Um, we see here uh, Christ's body was glorified and illuminated. Um, and we see here that maybe we look at the body as being something that is weak and dishonored, but Christ changed it to something that is uh, powerful and glorious. St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption and is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. The body, my beloved, that you and I have will be the same body that will be risen. So we have to take care of this body here on earth. You know, imagine the things that we do in the body and the resurrection of the dead. Would we say that this body is worthy of the resurrection, the presence of God, by maybe the things that I do in, with the body that is given to me? Think about this. If, when I come to meet God, and God sees my spirit, and, you, and maybe my spirit is good, right? But then when he raises the body and unites my spirit to my body again, and I'm facing him, will I be ashamed of the body that I left in the grave? We need to prepare the body that we're in here for that day of resurrection. That's why when people say, oh, the Bible doesn't speak about, you know, smoking or what all these different things that we want to say, tattoos and so on, just remember, the body that we are in is going to be the body that's going to be raised. And it needs to be presentable before the Father. Also, we saw here that his face was shining like the sun. Um, and if you look at why he particularly said here the face, is because the face is the primary identifier of all of us. When I say, do you remember so-and-so? What is the first thing you remember? It's their face, right? Do you know so-and-so? And you think of their face. Because that's what identifies us. So, how do people remember us? How do people know us? What is our identifier before other people? Is it a light? 
when people think about us and say, do you know so-and-so, and they're referring to me? Is this something that is worthy of light, or is this something that is worthy of darkness? What is the thing that people remember me uh, of? We need to conduct ourselves in godly living to be, as Christ said, a light to the world. We begin to be a light to the world here, and then it will be a glorified light hereafter. Lastly is our companions. Moses and Elijah were highly respected in the Jewish community, and they came to witness this glorious event. Um, uh, Moses represented the law, of course, and Elijah represented uh, the prophets. And when you notice here that St. Peter recognized them. So actually we are going to recognize one another in the, in the day of the Lord. When we come again, we're going to recognize them. We're going to know St. Peter and St. Paul and Daniel the prophet and so on. And they will be recognizable to us. Although Peter has never met them, but he knew them. He knew who they were. What memory are we preparing for ourselves. When people remember us, what memory are we going to remember? When we look, for example, at St. Anthony, we're going to remember a person who fought against the devils. When we remember St. George, we're going to remember a courageous warrior. When we remember St. Abunub, we're going to think of a young child who had faith like a rock and was able to endure the harsh persecution and a sense of tolerance in terms of pain for the name of Christ at such a high level. And we compare that maybe to ourselves where a, f a few, a little bit of stomach discomfort will keep me from fasting. And this 12-year-old boy was able to have his abdomen split and all sorts of uh, torture for the name of Christ. How about St. Damiana? We, or we remember a faithful and strong servant. I remember Pope Carullus as being a man of prayer. St. Peter, when he saw the Lord, he said to him, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Christ didn't answer him by word. But what happened? Um, he answered him non-verbally, and he saw his glory, and then there was this great uh, cloud, and, when he, and he fell down from fear, and when he raised up, what did he see? He saw Jesus only. He said, don't be mistaken. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. But you need to have godly companions, Moses and Elijah. Look to the companions that you have, your friends that you have, the people that you socialize with and hang out with. Are they the, are they the type of people that you want to become? Are they the type of people that you would see in the kingdom of heaven? Are they the type of people that you want to be like? We got to think about these things. In the book of Song of Songs, it's about a story uh, of a king and a bride. And the story goes back and forth, and at one point the bride leaves the king. And he warned her, you know, I'm going to leave, and you will come with me. And she was lazy, and she didn't come with him. And he left. And then when she was ready, and she missed him, she got up, and she went to search for him and could not find him. He left. Listen, and then she went around the city searching for the king. And they said what? She went to the watchman. The watchman who got out, who go out about the city found me and said, Have you seen the one I love? So she asked him, Have you seen the one I love? 
Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one that I love. So the watchmen here are the people that point us to God, are the people that point us in the way of repentance, are the people that tell us the way of godliness, that are concerned for our salvation. We need to find these watchmen in our life and associate with them so that when you know we're with them, they're helping us, pointing us in the right direction. Rather than surrounding ourselves with, pointing, with people who are pointing us in the, in the direction uh, of confusion. Um, I'll end, you know, uh, by a, a small, uh, almost a fact, I guess. Anybody who's visited Egypt before, when I was younger, I visited Egypt. And the one thing I noticed in Egypt, when you ask for directions, there's nobody in Egypt that will tell you, I don't know. He will make something up. <laughs> Right, so it's almost like you're not sure who to ask because you, you know they're not going to tell you I don't know if they don't know, you know. So it's just like that. We've got to have friends that when we ask them, where they're going to point us in the right direction, not the direction that's going to make us most comfortable, or the direction that we're going to want to hear, but the direction that we need to hear, right? And we shouldn't be upset when they tell us what we need to hear, rather than what makes us comfortable. So we said in order to be transformed through the transfiguration, we need to ascend and withdraw in prayer with God. We need to live a godly life and have godly companions. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.